Hey everyone, it's Lou Rosenfeld. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rosenfeld Review Podcast. And I am with Mr. Steve Porgel. Hi, Steve. Hi, Lou. Oh my God, you've got your podcast voice going. You sound very excited. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk. That's it. Are you like, excited all... to talk? Are you excited to talk about something in particular? Or most likely, are you excited to talk with me? I'm excited to talk with you, Lou. Ah, well... Well, thanks. Well, I- I'm excited to talk with you too, Steve, but let's just cut to the chase and be honest. The, the truth is you have a new book out. Those of you oh. who are listening probably uh, already have a copy of Steve's first book that we also published, Interviewing Users, which uh, not only has my all-time favorite Rosenfeld Media cover, uh, and there's a lot of good ones, uh, but I like to describe it as a, a classic. I, I think you know, I don't know what makes a classic. I don't even know what it would need to sell or what people would need to say about it, but it seems to have really kind of um, filled a void in the canon of books in our space. And I'm hoping that your follow-up book uh, uh, does similarly well. Uh, I know that I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I enjoyed it in its pre-book form, uh, and I'm enjoying it now in book form. And the book is... Doorbells, Danger, and Dead Batteries, User Research War Stories. And it just came out a couple weeks ago. This is December of 2016, if you're wondering. Steve, this is like a compilation in a sense. And and somehow you convinced me to publish a compilation because I tend to be very anti-compilation. But I think it's also more than that. Why don't you talk about the the genesis of pulling together all these war stories and and then we can talk about how they made it from an idea to uh, an actual book yeah that's great um and i'll use my normal voice because uh, yeah, i can't God. i can't sustain that that voice you know when i look back i sort of see two i don't know points of origin one is a a, a time that i was uh, at a conference many years ago and uh, you know, people are at the bar in the evening, as often happens, and we just started telling stories. Uh, and I hadn't been doing user research for very long, and uh, not many of us had been doing user research for very long. It was a less, um, I don't know, well-established thing than it is today. And we started describing sort of weird, interesting, unusual things that had happened to us. And uh, it was really, it was like a neat moment. Wow, we have these things in common. And, uh, you know, again, just an old enough time in the field that we weren't on Slack channels and Twitter. Those things didn't exist. And so we weren't necessarily as well connected with each other. And this period of, of telling stories and exchanging things that were not about the work, but were about what it meant to live the life of doing the work, I guess, um, just really struck me. It gave me a sense of community, a sense of belonging. And I, I, I sort of held on to that moment like, oh, you know talking about this stuff and this other stuff that we never talk about because during the day at the conference people are presenting their case studies and their successes and you know their best practices and at the bar we're talking about oh yeah this thing happened to me so, so there's others go ahead Luke. yeah so i i want you to just sort of color in the story a little bit more what was there a particular conference or a few conferences you found your, yourself at where the subject came up and and um what were you drinking if I was like really suave, I would like drop the name of some cocktail. You know, I was having a Harvey Wall banger, neat. Um, 
I don't know if that's a thing you can even have neat. It was it would actually was the uh, Thought at Work conference, which was a student run conference that uh, the people at uh, Rochester Institute of Technology put on. And uh, that was the first time I met Alan Chachnov, uh, who writes the foreword for this book and is one of my favorite people. Uh, Virginia Prestrell was uh, speaking at that conference. Uh, an author f- writes all kinds of things about design and culture and society. Uh, Eve Bahar was one of the speakers uh, from Fuse Project before he was uh, a cover model for, for Wired and everywhere else. It was like it was early days. And if you sort of look at who was there and I, I don't remember exactly who was talking what at the bar about about user research, but. This, I mean, this maybe was 2003, if I had to put a wow. year on it. So that was kind of the, the one point of origin, I guess, for the for, for the stories. And, and you know, it, it sort of planted a seed in my head that these stories are interesting and that I wonder about, uh, you know, talking about them more formally. And then you flash forward, I don't know, maybe four or five years later, um, Dan Soltzberg was working for me and came back from a day of field work and started telling me about how he kneeled in cat pee and how he was trying to keep the participant from knowing that he had kneeled in cat pee so that the guy wouldn't feel bad. And it was all this empathy moment of, you know, sort of looming over him with the camera. Dan used to be a filmmaker and he, and he sensed like, this is the Oscar moment. The guy was giving this big impassioned speech and Dan is, is realizing, Oh, I'm standing above him while he sits on the couch I'm going to go for eye level to kind of and, and, and go in for this shot, but maintain the the sense of empathy, I guess, with the body language. Not And, and so Dan kneels down, realizes he's in cat pee, <laughs> doesn't know what to do, ends up trying to conceal that by where he puts his knee when he stands up uh, and then runs off to do another interview. Uh, so you and can like this very meticulous. You can take the, the user researcher out of cat pee, but you can't take it out of his pants. So no. Uh, <laughs> not, a, not while you're in the field. And it was just such a great story. And, and uh, it was such a great, you know, it was, we had work to do and things to be reported. And we talked about all the learnings and the impact for the project and what our client needed to know. But I was just really struck by what happened to Dan, why it happened to him, what he did about it, how he thought about it. Um, and it, it just seemed like this this really interesting story that said so much more than, it, it took me further than I think we were at the bar. Like there was something else going on here and I didn't necessarily know what it was. Um, and I, you know, I looked for ways to try to get people together to tell, I would call them failure stories at the time. And we had a proposal into South by Southwest that didn't quite really get accepted. We ended up doing something else. And, but every time I would pitch this to people, they would start to respond and say, Oh yeah, I've got a lot of stories. So that made me feel that there was, there was certainly, uh, you know, sort of a marketplace of contributors out there, and there was probably an audience because there was something interesting going on. So I didn't take like a really a, a concrete step with this until I was finishing uh, the classic interviewing users, uh, as you characterized it. And uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to say in that book is, hey, there's a way that we can learn. Uh, and in addition to all this information, which is maybe more pedagogical in, in, in structure, uh, just by sharing these stories, we can learn other things. We can learn about what is really going on. And, um, you know, you had, I think, encouraged all, all of us authors to 
create some kind of hooks in the book. Like how will the how will the book grow and live online after the book is published? And so that was that was my little thing. Uh, and so I started soliciting stories. I had to make sure that when the book was out in the world, if you went to that URL, you'd see something there. So I hit up as many people as I could, and that was, I guess, in 2012. So in the you know intervening four years, I've collected, I guess, close to 70 stories, um, and you know that sort of have been sitting in a in a blog format, um, just sort of. I mean, sitting and being read and, and so on, but this kind of archive, but not really a, a, a processed archive. I'm going to keep going, Lou, but I think this is where we talk about, you know, how did, how did, uh, how does a bill become a law? How do those well, stories become a book? Yeah. Uh, before we get to that, um, was there any criteria that you had in place for what you accepted on the on the website, or was it just pretty much anything? Yeah, so that's that's a great point. What do we mean by war stories? Um, I mean, I think because the focus of interviewing users was about contextual user research, uh, I wanted these to be fieldwork stories. You know, people would you know approach me with, "Hey, here's a thing that happened in a usability test. Here's a thing that happened in a focus group," and I would always encourage them to collect and post those stories somewhere. But that was this archive was really focused on what happens when you leave your world and go into someone else's world. Like that's what opens up the possibilities for challenges, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I also have, have long said that these are stories about the researcher, not the research. Uh, I think a tendency is sometimes to share a case study. We had this business question. We gained these insights. We created this impact or this new design. And you know, I've been encouraging people to tell the other stories. What happened to you when you were doing field work? What did you encounter? What did you experience? What are sort of the these other stories about the experience? Um, so I think those were the main criteria. Something about you and didn't need to reveal anything confidential. It's about going out in the field. It And I also encouraged people not to lean too heavily on pulling lessons out of these stories. Like sometimes just saying, hey, this is what happened is sufficient. And I, I think especially researchers who are, you know, we are storytellers as part of the profession and we are advocates. And and I think there's a lot of teaching as well. So you would often get these stories that had, you know, here's seven points that the story revealed. And, you know, my sort of curator feedback would be like, well, you know, less of what what you learned and more of what happened. Why is that? Why did you uh, not encourage them to to come up with lessons from their experiences? Because I think there's a certain power in just the story and this may be a segue to you know what we ended up doing how the compilation became what it is but i think you know this this original format of of letting someone tell a story i did this you know story has a beginning a middle and end and the proportion that you would use for and the moral of the story is is very slight like that's what makes for a good story you know you go to see um whatever, Kurosawa, what's the most pretentious filmmaker name I can drop here, like I know anything about it. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's ep- they, there are epilogues and there's denouement, but there's not, you know, recapping what you need to take away from mm-hmm. the story. The story itself teaches you that. And so if we're trying to step away from traditional pedagogical structures for teaching and just letting things reveal what they reveal, then just let that be the story. And, and um, you know, they started to get just really 
sort of redundant and a little ponderous when I would see what people would put in. It's like, no, we don't we don't need more of the you know seven lessons mm -hmm. here in this story. Your story is jaw dropping. So let's sort of celebrate your story and bring your story out. So what was the trigger for you to then say, hmm, we have a book here, or I think we have a book here. I think you were up to around 60 at that point. Was it the I mean, number? I, uh, no, it was, I in fact had been resisting the idea of it being a book. People would say, oh, are you going to do a book about this? And, um, you know, I think there was, you know, the experience of writing and publishing and getting the reception to interviewing users was just in, in terms of the arc of my own career was really significant. Um, and so I didn't really know, well, if that's what a book is like, what does another book look like? And, and what do you do? What do you do for a follow up? I thought that was sort of um, something I just wanted to stay away from. I just wasn't really ready to engage with that idea. And I don't know if someone said to me, you should. And that was enough to sort of make me revisit it. And I think, you know, also what happens is, it's, you know, the web is great and you have things in a blog and there's a URL and people can go read them. I think those stories were ephemeral, even though there's a place for them and you can still find them there. You know, they would come out, I would tweet them, people would read them, they'd react to them, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And um, they're sort of getting lost in the, you know, in a blog is not sort of the hippest thing anymore. They were getting lost. And so thinking about what do we do with this this body, this, this corpus, you know? And um, it seemed like, all right, just... I think mean, the initial, you know, the, 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 the initial idea for me was literally to compile them, was to kind of concatenate them with, you know, a, a page for me saying, like, this is so-and-so story about this, and really just put them from one form into another. And if they could be put into a book, an, an e-book or a physical book, then they, the, the aggregate of this, this archive could take on a new life because it could be experienced as one thing as opposed to trawling back through an archives which no one was doing so that seemed like oh that's that's pretty easy i should just do that um and that's that's kind of i think what i came to you with and you you push back on me my feeling about uh compilations and i'm not quite ready to say this is a compilation by the way but my understanding when you came to me was that it certainly could be and that it had many voices and I, I probably have a conversation once or twice a week with someone interested in, in a book that is um, a collection of some stuff uh, that might be interesting. And, you know, I, I mean, there are great compilations, but for the most part, when they make it into book form, they're not. And um, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the fact that the author is really acting more as an editor and doesn't express a strong point of view, doesn't serve as a guide to the reader through the material, just sort of tees it up and, and gets out of the way. And then what that does is it often exposes uh, just sort of the inconsistencies and, and, and in some case redundancies between all those various pieces that they're compiling. And it, it just, like, it starts to get kind of boring and I don't know I just see I've seen a lot of these compilations that are just not very useful or very good and so you know you scared me when you came to me but I don't know the more we talked about it the more I felt like it was something else that it could be beyond a compilation yeah and I, I remember you saying to me that 
you know, the interesting, the interesting book, the book that, you know, Rosenfeld Media would want to do would be the book of what I would have to say about these stories. That, well, that caught me by surprise a little bit. Well, I, I, I remember pushing you to come up with some greater truths about doing field research. I didn't know if you were A, sure of what they would be, I don't think so, when you started, or B, sure that you would even come up with anything. But, Steve, I had a lot of faith in you um, that you were going to create some sum that was greater than the parts once you'd gone through the process of combing through them and looking for patterns and, and great, as I said, greater truths. And I think you, you know, I, I'm going to, look, I'm the publisher, so I'm going to hawk Steve's book. Uh, I, I am obviously biased, but Steve has created uh, 11 chapters each with his own perspective uh, and then uh, usually anywhere from three to, I don't know what, six, seven stories for each chapter that, that, that fit that perspective uh, that, that illustrate that principle. And, uh, you know, I, I, I sat down with the book when I had it in my hot hands, and it was pretty obvious to me that those 11 chapters are the kind of greater truths of doing field research. Are you overwhelmed by my... I'm, I'm verklempt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lou. That's... Then the process you're describing is what was just, I think, really fun about this book. People ask if writing a book is hard. This was really, it was like a joyful process of creation, I think. And, and that was sort of the task you set before me. I don't know. How do we say that? That's, the, that's where, you, where you sent me is like find what you have to say about it. And it's, you know, I had been doing uh, uh, events, speaking events about the war stories for a couple of years. It's not like I had never reflected on it. But I think the level of reflection, really taking a complete step back and you know, seeing what were the, what were the themes, what were the patterns and what did they lend themselves and what did I want to say about it? You know, it's funny. I said that I had asked the storytellers not to put lessons too much into their stories, but that was, I think, uh, you know, some direction from, from you and your team was, yeah, you need to tell people what to take away from these, which I also resisted, um, just because my brain wasn't there yet. But I, I think, I think, you know, each chapter, I don't know, this, I'm going to hawk it a little bit too. I think, you know, me talking about the themes uh, and then these stories which illustrate these themes in very different ways and then me coming back and saying like, here's five or ten things to think about. They aren't always, you know, um, easy action items. Sometimes they're just mental models to build for yourself to understand how to make choices in really complex situations. But I think that structure of, an essay, a bunch of stories, uh, a bunch of takeaways. I mean, that's, that is the book. And so as you go through these 11 chapters, you know, you get, you get all of that. And as again, to create that, it, it was, was really, was very gratifying for me. And, and, you know, the response so far has been really positive and it feels like, all right, there is something here. Um, you know, I think stories, this is just a set of stories. It is not all the stories. And, you know, the, one of the outcomes I'm hoping for is that this kicks loose some more stories, whether mm -hmm. they send them to us and we publish them, you know, uh, at rosenfeldmedia.com or people get together and go to a bar just to talk about stories. But the people use stories to do something additional than, um, 
because I, I, I'm sort of getting at this before, right? There's other ways of learning here, but I think what these stories also have to offer is there are stories where things go wrong often, or they go differently than what you expected. And these are stories about uh, successful, competent, talented, experienced researchers doing all the right things and still having things go wrong. And so you can look at these stories and you can think about, I think there's a lot of judgment that happens. Um, maybe you wouldn't have done that. Maybe you would. Uh, but you start to have empathy. And I know that's just an overused word, but I'm going to use it here anyway. You start to, to have some forgiveness or some acceptance of what happened to that person. If a successful, talented, competent person can do everything right and still have things happen, like uh, when Nicholas Nova encounters uh, a hungry newly released from prison guy at a, when he's doing interviews at a fast food restaurant who kind of comes up to them and, and shouts at them. Uh, you can't fault Nicholas for that. That's the nature of contextual research as things happen. Um, and so you start to think, well, okay, Nicholas can't control everything and he's at, he's at the top of his game. Uh, and it's okay. Like that's, what's going to happen. That's what research looks like. I'm probably going to have a situation myself where, I did everything right and something, quote, wrong still happened. And maybe that's okay. And it doesn't mean that we do crap work in research, but that we acknowledge that our work takes place in this very uncontrollable context. And that, you know, not everything is going to be as dramatic as, you know, uh, someone released from prison. But these moments of, of loss of control uh, or, 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 you know, things breaking down happen. It's just, it just research is hard. And uh, humans are complex and imperfect and we're imperfect. And to have that be a way that we as people doing research, participating in all of us kind of in user experience space, as large as you want to kind of draw that, if we can consider research that way, uh, we can we can get on with it and not, um, you know, not be scared of, of recrimination from others or kind of holding ourselves back. But I think we can grow as a, as a practice just by talking about what happens and kind of sharing the reality of it. Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and, um, uh, you know, when I was reading it, it, it occurred to me that, you know, you were kind of helping us understand not only how to be empathetic for the people we were observing, uh, and obviously how to be empathetic for ourselves, but that it's a microcosm to some degree for just how we interact with people. So the fact that you don't have control necessarily as much as you might plan for in interactions, the fact that people are exasperating and that you have to be prepared for it. Sometimes they're gross. Uh, sometimes uh, they'll, they'll put you in danger or you'll put yourself in danger without realizing it. Sometimes... Uh, you'll be in situations with people that will will uh, force you to question your your morals and your ethics. Um, those are all basically principles that you're covering uh, with these chapters. And I, I think you know, obviously, if you're like a student learning, starting out, or maybe a junior person in, in any type of user research, this is helpful. But I think really, uh, you know, anyone is going to learn something about themselves and about people uh, from a book like this. And I think we can wrap this up. And uh, I don't want to, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of pushing past my magical 20-minute mark. But I, I will tell you that when um, 
one of the times I picked it up in book form was actually on the subway here in New York City and had some time to kill it a long trip my normally I'd be looking at my iPhone but my iPhone was dead I was on my way to the Apple store as a matter of fact and I was like wow I have the I have a book it's been designed to be read on uh, places like a subway short trips and I dipped in and you know the stories are and your essays are very short and modular and easy to digest but there was something else about uh, something uh, else that was magical about that experience which was sitting reading it on the subway surrounded by people who could be subjects just people of all types because the new york subway is very diverse in terms of who's on it and i, I just like I, I was just wanting to do a study right on the spot and, and just grab some people or just observe some people sitting on the train it really inspired me and uh, i want to thank you for that steve and uh, thank you for uh, not only putting uh, the book together, but to just be kind enough and generous enough with the community to encourage people to share their stories and to collect them uh, even before they came out in book form. Thanks, Lou. I'll just, I think I'm not going to add anything. That's a lovely way to, to leave us. So thank you. Cool. Well, Steve Portugal's Doorbells, Danger, and Dead Batteries, User Research War Stories, uh, available from Rosenfeld Media, obviously. Uh, you can pick it up from Amazon as well. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I hope you pick a copy up. Uh, thanks again, Steve.